Well, you know, there's two ways to love people. There's two ways that I know about where you can really love someone. The first way of love is self-serving love. Self-serving love is when you love someone um, like you love a rung on a ladder. First you grasp at them, and then you step on them, and then you forget about them. Because they've helped you get to somewhere you want to go. Self-serving love uh, can feel wonderful, but it's a love that at its core is a transaction. It's a love seeking to get something. It's a love that helps us get somewhere. It's a love that is ultimately a love for ourselves. That's the first kind of love. There's a second kind of love that I know about, but don't often practice. And it's called the love of God. The love of God brings life where there is death. The love of God brings light where there is darkness. The love of God brings hope where there is despair. The love of God brings kindness where there is only hate. When we love someone with the love of God, it's like planting a seed in the soil in order to bear fruit that other people will enjoy. The love of God transforms. The love of God heals. The love of God generates new life. This kind of love is free to not go up, but to go down the ladder where no one else will go to save and feed and befriend people who can offer nothing else in return. Self-serving love is manipulation. The love of God is ministry. Self-serving love is rivalry and conceit. The love of God is humility and counting others more significant than you are. Self-serving love is self-preserving and self-preoccupied and cynical. The love of God is tender and the love of God is hopeful. Self-serving love is survival. The love of God overflows even if the person giving it does not survive. Would you like to practice the love of God? Would you like to know the love of God? Would you like for it to flow out of your life? Would you like to be known, even after you die, as someone who is brimming over with the love of God? Would you like people in your life, your neighbors and your roommates and your coworkers and your spouse and your kids and your friends and your enemies to encounter the very love of God when they interact with you? Would you like for them to be overflowing just from interacting with you, just from being in the same hall as you, the same workplace as you, the same cubicle area as you, the same kitchen as you? Would you like them to be overflowing with the love of God? Would you like to see people transformed with the love of God? You know what? I believe you do because I know many of you. And I've interacted with you, and I've heard your, your cries, and I've heard your prayers, and I've heard you express a vision for your life. And like, like me, you want the freedom to express the love of God, but so often you find yourself expressing a self-serving love, and you want to move beyond that, and so do I. If we're going to have the freedom to go down the ladder... We need the freedom to love and serve people without the expectation of a payout. And the only way that that happens, the only way to get that freedom is to go to the very top of the ladder and receive all the love that we need. To receive all the selfhood that we need. 
to receive all of the glory and love and acceptance that we need. The only way that we can go to the next networking event and not look over people's shoulder to look to get something from someone who's more powerful than us is to already have all the power we need, already have all the identity that we need, already have all the love that we need. That's the only way that we're going to have the freedom to go down the ladder. Because, as we see in Philippians 2, it is a divine identity that drives a downward mobility. It's a divine identity that frees you up to be downwardly mobile. If you don't have that freedom, your compass is always going to be pointed north and you're always going to look at other people as a way to get what you want unless you have what you truly need at the top of the ladder in the very presence of God where he calls you daughter, where he calls you son, where he says, with you I am well pleased. There's nothing else that you have to do to receive my love. There's nothing else that you have to do to receive the identity that you want and need. We have to go to the top of the ladder and receive the selfhood and the glory and the love of God in Christ. When we do, we are free indeed to go as far down the ladder as God calls us. I invite you to look with me at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. This downward descent, starting at the very top of the ladder, going all the way down to the bottom, is seen primarily in the person of Jesus. I want you to look with me at Philippians 2, verse 6. Here's what your translation says. Who, though he, referring to Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I would like to restate that verse and give you a translation which I think reflects accurately the teaching of Philippians, which is this. Precisely because Jesus was in the form of God, Precisely because Jesus was in the form of God, he did not use this divine equality as something to be used for his own advantage. Precisely because Jesus had the form of God, he did not exploit equality with God for his own advantage. In other words, Jesus didn't lay aside his heavenly God privileges in spite of the fact that he was in the form of God. It wasn't a concession like even though I'm in the form of God, you know what, I'm going to descend the ladder and become a servant. No, 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 no. He laid aside his privileges because he was in the form of God. Here's what Henry Nouwen says. Henry Nouwen, who made the move from teaching at Harvard University to working with people who had absolutely nothing to offer him, people with profound physical and mental disabilities at La Arc, and found joy in doing so. Here's what he said. Jesus' becoming a servant is not an exception to being God. It, his self-emptying and humiliation are not a step away from his true nature. Rather, in the emptied and humbled Christ, we encounter God. We see who God really is. We come to know his true identity and his true divinity. What does it mean that Jesus was in the form of God? This word form, in the original language, it means the clothes or the expression that rightly expresses the reality behind it. What do I mean by that? When a woman puts on a wedding dress, the wedding dress rightly expresses the reality that she is to be a bride that day. 
The wedding dress is the form pointing to a reality that's true, which is that this woman will be a bride, she will be married. When a general puts on his uniform and you see his or her rank displayed on their uniform, the rank displayed in the, in the stars or the bars point to the reality behind those stars, which is that he or she is a general and he or she has authority. Before Jesus entered human history, his equality with God was on full display in the heavenly court. And the sight of Jesus sharing the form of God is too great for us to behold. It would undo us. Anyone who got a glimpse, anyone who got a taste of Jesus sharing the form of God was absolutely undone, almost to the point of death, always to the point of fearing. Day and night, Jesus stood in the center, he was seated in the center of the heavenly court, and the seraphim covered their eyes and sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and they still do to this day. The Father's love, God the Father's love and honor and uh, glory was shared and pointed towards His Son in heaven. In constant worship, the heavenly court pointed their eyes to Jesus. Jesus was given the honor and glory and love from the Father because the Father delighted in His Son and he delighted that his son be worshipped and glorified by everyone and by everything. And he gave his son the honor and glory to create all of reality, to create the universe, to bring it into existence. It was the father's pleasure to give that honor to his son. Joy, love, access, provision. Jesus had everything at the will of the father. And he shared the form of God. That was his divine identity. And it was because he had that divine identity. It was because he shared the form of God that he was glad to climb down the ladder. It was because he had the divine identity that he had the downward mobility. Jesus, the Son of God, a member of the Godhead, fully clothed in honor as God. Verse 6 says, He did not regard this divine equality as something to be used for his own advantage. Why would he have to? What advantage did he not already have? What privilege did he not already have? What did he have to grasp for? Absolutely nothing. He had everything he needed from his father. He had all the love he needed. He had all the honor he needed. The Lord owned the whole universe, all of heaven and earth, and Jesus co-owned it with him. Jesus had nothing to be afraid of, nothing to lose. And so he descended the ladder in complete freedom. We exploit our advantages because we think there's something to be gained from it. We use our advantages in our position on the ladder to get higher up on the ladder because we're hungry for something that we feel like we don't have yet. We're afraid that we won't get it unless we seize the opportunity. So there's no time for descending the ladder because that would be an opportunity cost. The opportunity cost, you, you go down the ladder, you pay the cost because you waste time and opportunity to get further up the ladder with your power, with your finances, with your emotional support. We forfeit the opportunity to get to the top by 
going to the bottom. But Jesus had nothing to fear, and he had everything to offer. He didn't need to manipulate people because he was free to minister to people. He was free to serve people because his own father had broken an alabaster jar of honor and love, and he had washed Jesus' feet with it. Let's watch Jesus descend the ladder, shall we? Look at verse 7 with me. He made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. This does not mean that he laid aside his divinity or his dignity even. This is a description of Jesus willingly laying aside and emptying himself of anything by way of divine privileges that would keep him from becoming a man. Any privilege, anything that would keep him from becoming a servant, he laid aside, still fully God, still full of the love of the Father, still secure in his identity, but laying aside everything that would get in the way of love. Secondly, he took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, another rung down. He took the form of a servant, and he took on the likeness of men. Imagine that. Imagine going from the heavenly court where you are worshipped and glorified, where you are honored. Imagine being in the position of creating all of reality to becoming part of what you created. Here's how one preacher puts it. Now, Jesus feels the binding confines and restrictions of the flesh. He's got skin around him now. He must use doors, ride animals, eat and sleep. Think of the, uh, the God of the universe saying, Okay, mother. Okay, dad. Whatever you say, dad. Now Jesus rubs shoulders with the creatures, people he created. And these people say, Get out of my way, kid. Move it, buddy. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Somebody special? Well, you're not. You should know your place, Jesus, and you should stay in it. A slave is obligated. See, a slave does not have the option of disregarding the messes that people leave behind. A slave is not obligated to jet set away from the problems of the world. A slave is obligated and connected to the problems and the frustrations of people burdensome obligations, creaturely obligations. A slave is obligated. A slave is tied. A slave is connected when no one else wants to be. When Jesus became a servant, he exchanged absolute independence and prerogatives for lowly interdependence. Finally, Jesus goes to the bottom rung. Look with me at the end of verse 7. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the extremity of death even death on a cross. In a stunning act of trust in the Father's love, in a stunning act of trust in His divine identity and the Father's willingness to vindicate Him and rescue Him, Jesus descended into death and He did so through the horror and shame of a Roman cross. This is what our, point, uh, our text calls the point of death, which is better translated the extremity of death. I think some of us think of crucifixion as the worst of crucifixion being the pain, and there was pain. But do you know that Roman soldiers would willingly volunteer themselves to go into battle and endure incredible amounts of pain for the glory that it would give them? They volunteered for the pain. It wasn't the worst of the cross. The worst of the cross was the slow torturous shame of crucifixion. 
When you were nailed to a cross, your dignity in the Roman world was understood to be utterly debased by the state in the most public way possible. Uh, Theologian Martin Hengel notes that crucifixion satisfied the primitive lust for revenge and sadistic cruelty. It was usually associated with other forms of torture, including at least flogging. The criminal would be tortured to death for days in an unspeakable way. And he did it for us. He was on the bottom rung of the ladder with his shame on display, with his dignity being sapped away publicly, with his personhood being scraped slowly on the ground for us in love to rescue us in utter confidence that his father loved him, that his father held his identity in his hands. He was free to be debased. He was free to be in the lowest rung of the ladder of human existence. But he still had the divine identity. Look with me in verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Father resurrected Jesus and brought him all the way back up to the top of the ladder. But this time, Jesus brings with him a train of sons and daughters who will share in his identity with him, who will share in his glory with him, who themselves will not be God, will not be God but who will share in divine privileges, who will take up a seat at the table of the Trinity and be fully loved, accepted, and commissioned by God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He will be joined at the top of the ladder by the people he came to serve and give his resources to. He will be joined at the top of the ladder with the people who were at the very bottom of the ladder, who had no one to love them, no one to rescue them, no one to feed them, no one to minister to them. People who had only been manipulated, people who had only been used, people who had only been cast aside, Jesus found, and he gave his life for them, and utterly was debased for them sons and daughters of God who now have access to the dignity, love, acceptance, forgiveness, joy. The love of God is for anyone found in Christ. He went to the bottom of the ladder to bring us to the top. And now, now we have access to the divine identity. If you have confessed in faith that Jesus is Lord and you have trusted your life and allowed it to be hidden with him, you have been given a divine identity. Look with me in verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, friends, this is a description of what the sons and daughters of God get. Are you suffering? Are you in pain? Have you been wounded for the sake of love? Do you know what takes away the sting of suffering? Someone who will join you in it. Someone who will love you in it. Someone who understands what it's like to be where you're at. Someone who knows the pain of love. Someone who has descended and who has given his life so that you can spiritually flourish. Encouragement from Christ is when God speaks over your life and your suffering, comfort, comfort my people. Say to them that their warfare is ended. 
and gives you the very Holy Spirit to sanctify and transform your suffering so that you can be made into the image of God. Sons and daughters of God are baptized. If you've not been baptized, please talk to me. I'd love to baptize you on Easter. Over our baptism, Jesus, the Father speaks because of Jesus. You are my daughter, you are my son, and with you I am well pleased. I don't care how weak you are. I don't care where you've come from. You have the righteousness of my son because he went all the way down to the bottom of the ladder. And you have my acceptance and dignity. You have a divine identity. That's what God speaks over us at our baptism. And he will never remove that blessing. For all who call in the name of Jesus, there is absolutely nothing to fear. Jesus went to the depths. We do not have to fear the depths. Jesus suffered to the end. We don't have to fear the end. Everything in the world belongs to God. We co-own it with him as his sons and daughters. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to grasp at. There's nothing more to gain. You've got that identity. If you're secure in that identity, and it's a process for all of us, you're downwardly mobile because you're free. Why would you grasp at the top of the ladder when you've already been there? When God's given you all that you need to go to the bottom of the ladder and be with people who have nothing to give you. Here's what Paul says. He says, if you've got that identity, read with me in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing of rivalry or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. What does this look like in real life? You know what? I'm not Jesus and neither are you. <laughs> we couldn't handle it. You and I aren't called to die for the sins of mankind. That's not what going to the bottom of the ladder looks like for us. We're not Henry Nouwen either. None of us teach at Harvard as far as I'm aware. Um, Henry Nouwen had a dramatic move from Harvard to Arc, But you know what? For us, I think it's actually good for us that our downward descent is a lot less dramatic than Jesus or even Henry Nouwen or even other people we hear about. You know what downward descent looks like for most of us? It looks like hidden disciplines. It looks like hidden disciplines. That's really good for our ego, for us to descend with Jesus in a way that no one else is going to even appreciate or acknowledge. With our divine identity, how do we get to the top of the ladder? Well, Jesus brings us there. But how do we, being at the top of the ladder with our status, how do we receive the love of God? You know what? Christian history is pretty clear. The Christian tradition is pretty clear. If you're not quiet before God with nothing else going on, if you don't feel a little useless before God in silence and solitude with the Word of God in front of you, chances are you're not going to experientially connect with the identity that's already yours in Christ. Silence and solitude is a hidden discipline that will connect you with your identity as a son of God, as a daughter of God. And it simply means shutting off your phone, being alone, being in quiet, and letting the crazy thoughts, letting the torture of silence overwhelm you, and then letting the love of God heal you. Listening for God to speak a word to you through his scriptures and through his spirit, 
You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. It's a hidden discipline. And you know what? The world's not going to stand up and applaud. There will be no Huffington Post article about what you just did. It's a hidden discipline. And it's so good for our souls. If it wasn't, would it really be receiving God's love or would it be just a way to receive applause and approval and love from someone else? There's another hidden discipline and it's associated with climbing down the ladder, with downward mobility. Think about people in your life you want to love. Think about the people that you want to receive the love of God through your life. Who in your life could receive the love of God? Who do you think needs it? Your spouse, your children, your co-workers, your roommates? Who has less status than you? And what are the thankless jobs in your realm that no one wants to do? Are there dishes to be done? Are there carpets to be vacuumed? Are there emails to be returned? Are there um, projects that no one wants to work on? Are there thankless tasks that you know will not get thanked? Hidden tasks that you, will know, that you know will not be seen? Do you know how God shapes our souls to climb down the ladder? He gives us simple, non-sexy ways to serve our friends and neighbors and coworkers. Are there ways, are there ways available for you to climb down the ladder and do the tasks that no one else wants to do? I was reading um, a great book. The author, who gets invited to speak in a lot of different places, uh, realized um, that the, some of the, um, the most powerful people that he knows are also some of the most servant-hearted people that he knows. He said that he knows uh, a CEO that cares for an ailing wife at the same time that he creates jobs. And so one of the um, hidden disciplines that this author referred to was whenever he's invited to go speak somewhere, before he gets in the cab to go to the airport, he does all the dishes in his house. And he's got kids, so there's a lot of dishes. He does every single dish before he goes to the airport and gets on a plane to go speak somewhere. And what he says is that this is a very practical way that his soul is hollowed out so the love of God can fill him. Because it's a hidden task. It's in many ways a thankless task. But he needs to go down the ladder if he is going to be truly a man who is able to love other people. These are disciplines that lead away from success, not into success, that carve out a space for the love of God to fill us into overflowing. Divine identity drives downward mobility. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.